since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? Good to be with you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. So here's the plan for today. We're going to do a film club. We're going to do Matthew Kachuk, a player that we've been planning on doing this for a while. Full disclosure, we had this one scheduled for Thursday yesterday, and then something came up and we had to push it back a day. And that's why there wasn't a show yesterday. And initially I was worried because I wanted to do it as kind of like a a primer for the Eastern Conference final um, before that series started. And I was like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in this game, especially with Matthew Kachuk. Anything could happen. He could either have an amazing game or he could do something and get suspended. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to age very well and if we're going to be able to do the show on Friday. And then the timing turns out couldn't have been better because he scores the overtime winner to mercifully end game one of the East final before it reached the fifth overtime. And so it turns out there really are hockey gods and they're, uh, and they're looking down upon us here today. Yeah. And first of all, thank you for being accommodating to the pink eye that's ravaging my household among other illnesses. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, what's funny is I, I'm, uh, th- we almost got two hockey games, right? Like we were like, that was what we were basically watched and that was two hockey games. Uh, and I'm appreciative of that because we got, there's so much more you can analyze with that breadth of game. And, and when it goes that long in game one, the adjustments you would see between game one and game two, you get to watch them happen on the fly, right? You get to watch people figure things out as the game goes on. It's a very unique circumstance. You know, I, I think there's a big difference, Dimitri, between a game one five OT and a game six five OT by game six, you figured a lot of things out by then you're entrenched in your habits. You can micro adjust in the game, how you match lines, how, you know, whatever, but you don't see this, the actual strategy shift. Like I think you saw last night where I think Florida at the beginning was really sort of like aghast by Carolina's slow style of play and, and how sort of big they make themselves in the offensive zone and spread out and everywhere they are. But as the game went on, you started to see that classic Florida four check. That's been so good. And really, for me, the the story of the postseason uh, start to shift the tide of that game. Uh, and Matthew Kachuk, who's frankly been at the, the absolute helm of that forecheck this entire postseason, to be to, for, it, for it to be him was, I yep. thought, super representative of the Florida experience. Well, and if I could think of two teams who pace themselves less over a course of 60 minutes than the, than, than these two teams, it's like they, they go full blast pretty much every single shift. Right. And so for them to then have to play essentially an extra game in the same evening is very physically taxing. Um, and also on, on the note of the adjustment, I think we're going to get into this with Kachuk himself, but I thought that he made some clear adjustments as the game went along because I was sweating it for a while. I thought in regulation, it was one of the worst games, if not the worst game I've seen him play this postseason. He a lot of the stuff he had been doing in, in rounds one and two in terms of waiting for the puck to come to him doesn't really work against this Hurricanes team because they pressure so hard man on man that when he's waiting along the boards for the puck to come to him, by the time it gets there, someone on the Hurricanes like steps in there and either pokes it away or gets in his space much quicker than I think he had been used to in the previous rounds. And so he made a bunch of turnovers. I think at least a handful to Brett Pesci, it felt like uh, he was all over him. And then as the game went along in the overtimes, it felt like he really got his footing, got his bearings. And by the time the fourth overtime came around, he was setting up a handful of grade A chances and kind of looking much more like the Matthew Kachuk we'd seen in the first two rounds. And so I thought that was that was pretty notable. You know, what's funny, uh, and we don't have to turn this whole show into a game one analysis of the Eastern Conference final. <laughs> We're kind of going that route, but uh, it's specific. To, it's relative to Matthew Kachuk, so it's, it's important. Um, you know, circumstances beget 
that forwards fulfill different roles. Not every four check is the same. Not every breakout's the same. Hockey's a chaotic game. I may prefer to be F1 in the series. Got to be F2 in the circumstance, right? Uh, that's just the way things go. And there's not always a, a defined and set role. Uh, you got to know how to play every every space. But I do think, Dimitri, that it was extremely interesting that what we saw, I think, last night was Kachuk play the role of the straw stirrer the front four checker in the in the Florida system less than ever last night hmm. because Carolina is executing this very simple breakout to neutralize that man. They want to take as much time and space as they can. Uh, and it's just a very simple D to D structure. It's a D to D pass where you make a greater than symbol with your defenseman, go up with your pass around the four checker, other defenseman moves up around the four checker. You just kind of zip a doodle around. I made that up. That's a phrase I just invented. I like but it. you, you, it, it renders that top guy less effective in, in most controlled circumstances. So where's, where do they move Matthew Kachuk now to, to have the most effect, level of effectiveness? It's in the middle two of the Florida system. It's a one, two, two, they put him in the middle and it didn't, to your point, it didn't go well. That he you kind of saw him almost be more reactive, right? Where Kachuk at his best is an unleashed animal, right? I think we can both mm-hmm. agree with that. Like the guy is just the epitome of controlled, smart, aggressive hockey. But as the game wore on and you saw it in the OT goal, he began to attack himself in that middle of the ice and go from reacting to proactively getting on the puck and making circumstances for the recipient of that second breakout pass really difficult. So all this is to say, Dimitri, we could probably start here. You know, you focus on, you could focus on the individual skill. Great. Good shot. You saw it. Overtime shot looked perfectly placed. You could focus on the, the aggression and the forechecking and sort of like the, the tempo he brings, which is, is a tangible impact of the game. But I think you got to start with the head first, the brains. Uh, we've talked about this, you and I off, off, off show. Uh, he always seems to have that anticipatory next step on everyone he plays with. And no matter who the opponent is, uh, he's just moving at a pace. They just can't seem to keep up with from a decision-making perspective. And he has to, right? Because if he plays the foot speed game, he's going to lose every single time. So he almost has to adjust in that way. And and, and that's a great point. I mean, this four check of theirs, I don't even know what the tally is up to this point, but it's got to be in double digits of goals. They've created this postseason within seconds of forcing a turnover in the uh in their attacking zone and other teams defensive zone and we did a full co- a conversation on our last film club about the crack in forecheck and then we looped the panthers in as well and kind of compared and contrasted the two and it, that, that's a really good point you make there because i think i naturally envision him as being that aggressive f1 right who like you just like picture him barreling in and sometimes like throwing those kind of reverse checks even to try to dislodge a defenseman from a puck and force a turnover that way. But now that he's playing on this combination with Bennett and cousins, sometimes it works where he can kind of defer to those guys to use their wheels to, to go in there and disrupt. And then that allows him to kind of almost like a safety, right? He's like standing there in, in the zone and then he can read where the play is going. And then as the second wave kind of jump that route. And, and it's, it's really interesting to see that kind of interplay in, in how those guys kind of assume those roles and how he can be effective in both of them. Yeah. And that's to be fair, like I said, you know, you have to be able to know them all, but that doesn't mean everybody's good at them. Right. And I think there's some players that are just, they're not able to to move and shift back into the neutral zone and produce turnovers and disrupt the play with the same level of effectiveness that he is. Um, that's, that's truly what makes it remarkable is that, you know, um, 
even in the circumstance like the one that Carolina has sort of invented here where they can they have the one the defensive personnel to skate uh, and pass around this thing um at some point or another you got to give the puck up to a forward in the middle right like that's like you can't your whole offensive strategy can't just be defenseman carry it in every single time 100% of the time like that's sort of almost like what they're they're daring you to do now because they're eating up the middle and if people say like well what does that look like and i think like for kachuk um even in the evolution of last night's game, Dimitri, it went from constantly being physically engaged with someone and thinking that that was the right move to playing off of them and then attacking and closing and giving them this like false sense of space that they have the, the space and time to make their play and then coming in with an active stick or a hip check or a body really quick closing um, to, to, you know, be able to disrupt it. And, it, you know, he almost was like uh you know, you, you talk about a safety read in the quarterback's eyes. It's playing off the ball too. And giving that quarterback the sense that the route is open when, it, and when it's not, you have the jump, you know, what's about to happen. Um, and I just thought it was interesting to see that play out again through the course of last night. It's difficult to notice live, but I think on the rewatching some of those overtimes, you start to see him sort of stalk you like a shark in the neutral zone. Right. Well, and for forwards, I think it's really difficult to properly, I mean, for every player, like evaluating defense and, and properly attributing who's responsible and then how we weigh that compared to the offensive side of things is always difficult, right? And and I think part of the problem for me, like I like the trade when they made it in the offseason because I thought it was a very shrewd move from a business perspective of not only divesting themselves from two diminishing assets that are in their 30s and are due for a big payday, but also locking yourself into like a longer runway with a guy who's 24 years old or whatever and just basically having the rest of his prime, right? So I really liked it from that perspective. I wasn't entirely sure what we were going to get from him this season because first off, the, the counting stats offensively, were unlike anything he'd done previously, right? And and part of it seemed to be inflated by the ridiculous playmaking season Johnny Gaudreau had beside him and some inflated percentages. And there was also the defensive part of things, though, where I think he was like 93rd percentile or something in even strength defense. And, and there was a lot of talk about how he was moving the needle so much on that end. And I was a bit skeptical of that because I felt like a lot of it was actually what Elias Lindholm was doing and kind of that unit as a whole. And the circumstances of it were driving it. Now his even strength defense fell to 57th percentile this season, but it doesn't matter because the offense is obviously so great. And I think some of these things from the forecheck to the anticipation to moving them in the right direction constantly kind of accounts for why those numbers are the way they are, right? Because I don't think you necessarily think of most wingers as driving defensive results, but especially one who's kind of as plotting as he is with his, with his foot speed being able to do so, right? I think generally we think of like a guy who who skates really well and can pressure opposing puck carriers. Those are the guys who are good defensive forwards, but he does it in such a different way. I think that's why it's kind of tough to to wrap your head around how he's doing it. It's a good call. Um, and I would also argue too, Dimitri, that the most of like, I think I think the, the impact is there, but I don't know how much it's happening in the defensive zone. You know, yes. like I feel like, like he's present there, right? Sure. But I think overall, it's it's that disruption that occurs between the blue lines that allows to flip the play on its head and make these really like th- these chances that really grossly benefit Florida, right? In the exchanges that that he finds himself in, um, I think the number I don't have it in front of me, um, but I think you know looking at his playoff run this year, I think like what his goals for percentage for Florida is at even strength over like 80% right now. Um, it's just, it's strangling. Well, 
let me yeah. give you, let me give you, I'll, I'll set the scene here. Let me give you all of the, I, I have a rundown of his postseason metrics so far to kind of just give people an idea of it. And then we can talk more about what we're seeing on tape on how they're doing it. Right. And kind of build off of this conversation we started with. So he's got six goals and 11 assists, eight of them primary, 10, five on five points. That's at right? even strength. No, that's overall 17 points, okay, okay. 10, 10, five on five points, which are tied with Rupe Hints for the league lead this postseason. He's got 28 high danger chances himself taken, which leads the team according to natural statric. And then by my passing data that I've tracked, and I sent you this, he leads the team with 45 shot assists, which is second on the team is Brandon Montour, 33. And a lot of that is like simple little power play passes and not actually being a massive playmaker the way Kachuk is. But then he set up directly 30 scoring chances in 13 games for the Florida Panthers. Second on the team is Carter Verhage with 15 to kind of just give you a sense of how much of the puck is is kind of being funneled through him. And then he's making the decision of who it goes to in the offensive zone, right? And so with him on the ice at 5-on-5, they're up 13-3, to three, as you mentioned there. They have 59% of the shots, 59% of the expected goals. High danger chances are 60-37. to 37. And what's impressive to me, Jesse, beyond all of that, because obviously all of those numbers, if you're up 13-3, to three, you're doing a lot of stuff right, is who it's coming against. So in round one, he plays 40 minutes against Brad Marchand. They're up 4 nothing in those minutes. In round two, he plays 35 minutes head-to-head -head with Marder and Matthews. They're up 4-1 in those minutes. And then in game one here of the East final, really two games worth, it was interesting. They they, they weren't using Jordan Stahl against him as much as I thought they would. They actually went with the uh, with the Martinuk fast Kotkaniemi line instead. But that overtime winner came on a forecheck where they forced Burns and Slavin into making a mistake in their own zone. And those two guys through the first two rounds had been about as clean and infallible as you're going to get. Right. I, I've been talking about how I think Slavin should be like one of the cons, my favorites, how he had preposterous five on five on ice goal numbers himself. And so he's doing all of this against the other team's best players too. And I think that's, what's impressive about it. Yeah, man. There's still a lot to take in there. I think <laughs> uh, so. First of all, the fact that you're 100% right, the pair that he did that against last night in overtime, they, they had been basically infallible. But I think that it is a testament to the the way, the style of play and how it can cause you to see ghosts, right? Like in, in both of the length of a series as a whole and then individually in the microcosm of a game, right? Um, there's just, you know, th this is so much, these teams love to have timing-based and route-based breakouts that work very similarly to how uh, routes in football work. You know, there, there's there's guys jutting through the neutral zone, very high rates of speed. You got somebody trying to get an object from them to the other guy, <laughs> like through a body of of opponents. And they the Florida's ability to just destroy that and force teams to play a style of hockey that they don't have an interest in. That requires more work, coming back deeper into the zone, playing puck support in a way that most people probably don't like, uh, taking a lot of flair out of your game, stifling a little bit of your creativity, um, the, from and the, the, all the way down to the timing disruption. Uh, it, you know, you have to have the right mix to be able to do this, right? You have to have the right mix. Uh, this line, the, the, any line he's on. Um, he's the straw that stirs the drink, but the rest of the mix has been right too. Uh, it's been players that can get up ice and jump on loose pucks quickly. It's players that can make the most out of transition opportunities. Um, it's other players that have sort of like followed his lead and jumped in. I mean, if you look at the, the raw turnover 
numbers um, that that Corey tracks the all three zones project. Carter Verhage's been through the roof this postseason in his own ability to get up ice and create turnovers with four checking. Um, it, it you know it, I think that it we've seen we've both said last show that this these four checks are really sort of defining the way that the game is played now. But when you start to look at the nuance of it and how Matthew Kachuk fits into it specifically, um, you got to give credit to the staff for allowing them them being the players to go out and feast like this because it's so you know it's so much easier to play on the front foot in this game when you're pressing the play and you're the one forcing decisions in hockey you're always going to be have more win than the other guy when you're forcing the other guy to chase you around or to go after loose pucks i mean that's what this whole thing is about you 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 become this reactionary opponent when the face of, 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 of a style of play like this um, and you begin to chase and that just, it wins teams so viscerally. And I kept thinking to myself, like the longer this game goes and like, I know Carolina had chances late into that game, but Brofsky was unbelievable. I mean, like Shana Goldman pointed out his performance was like second all time and goal save above expected in the analytic era. Uh, but it, you could see as the game went on, like it just becomes so taxing and, and, and his understanding to me, Dimitri of him being Kachuk, how to make you skate the most mm-hmm. is, is almost uncanny. The, the way he presses you from an angular lane perspective, right? He forces you to reroute yourself or to take, take the long way to get there and be physically engaged with him the entire time. And, and if you have an if you have a goal in mind for your breakout or just even as an individual player, Dimitri, there's nothing worse than having to take that extra mile in what should be a routine step for you, right? And that's, I think, really what it is. It's like playing your favorite video game on a difficulty level you've never even seen before. It's going to drive you crazy. Your muscle memory, all that, throw it out the window. Um, you know, it's like playing Tetris on level 99 speed. You know, you, you, most people don't know how to react with that as the starting point. I'm with you on that. And in terms of like the, the combination of skills and why they've gelled so well together at the same time, though, if you had told me at the start of the season that a line of Matthew Kachuk, Sam Bennett and Nick cousins would be getting those, these, these types of numbers, I would be like, I wouldn't, I would not have believed you. Right. Because I think heading into the year, I was like, all right, well, they're bringing him in. They're going to pair him up with, with Barkov. I'm interested to see how those skills mesh together. They haven't really done that. Then during the regular season, they had Verhage on that line instead of Cousins, and their numbers were were through the roof. I think they were up like 50 to 25 at 5-on-5 five five when they were out there together. And when they started the postseason that way, when they they sometimes throughout these games, either if they feel like they need to kind of um, create something offensively in an isolated situation or situational in the offensive zone, they put Verhage out there with him. And I love every single time they do that because him and Bennett create so many of these opportunities and Verhage's finishing is such a boon next to them, but I understand yeah. why they're not using them full-time that way because Verhage is very useful for, for Duclair and, and, and Barkov on the other line, but for him to be driving this line in this way with two guys who I do not think would be getting anywhere near these results without him is what's impressive, right? He's kind of, and, and that's what makes him so effective is, is I remember I know it's like, I, if I'm describing it, he's a play connector, right? Like he allows all of this stuff to come together. And without him, it's a bunch of sort of spare parts that are moving in different directions, but all of a sudden you put it together and everything seems to flow much more smoothly from their end of the ice through to deep in the offensive zone. hundred percent. He is the equivalent of like a good midfielder 
right? And soccer, the way that he can connect all of your parts together and make the whole thing work. But I, I just have to go, but you know, the, the, the four check is the straw that, that stirs the drink mm-hmm. here, right? Like that is what makes this whole system, this whole thing work. Um, and that, that is where I think his presence is felt uh, the most. And I just, I guess what shocked me um, and, and we've touched on this already, but, but what shocked me is seeing how, you know, this is a team that lacks a lot of gross star power, right? Like, I mean, if you look at the situation that we're in here, like you wouldn't say Florida could keep up with name wise, a team like Boston or Toronto. Mm -hmm. But I, what shocked me was how much the impact of one really good player in the right environment could have. And, and you, you think about these stories in other sports, like especially the NBA, I think, where you have one superstar that can make a run, right, and can beat, a, you know, and, and do the superhuman to topple like a, a, you know, a super giant with all these max contracts on it. This this feels like that. You know, this is that in hockey. Um, I don't know, frankly, that I could really go back in time in the modern, like, I don't know, you want to use the term like analytic era like, can you think of like a story like this where like a player became so, I guess like I go back to like 1999 when Yarmir Yager beat the devils and like upset them as an eight seed and did it all by himself on one groin. Like I think about that sometimes, like, but I mean, to me, this is just, this is so uncanny to see. And I'm not, I'm not here to diss Florida. This isn't diss Florida fest, right? But like, this is a star player being a star player. And having this massive, unimaginable impact and toppling all these giants along the way, I just feel like this narrative and this scene is, is like so grossly uh, uh, un- unheard of in hockey. Like yeah. we just don't see this thing happen all that often. Uh, and it's just it, – it, it, for a player of Kachuk's ilk that seemingly lacks like some of the flair and finesse that you would expect out of the high-end talent that are capable of that – um, that makes it even, I think, more uncanny and all the more bizarre and, and, and fun to watch. Well, I think lost in this a little bit, it, it reported is this was the team that won the President's Trophy last season, right? There's a lot of pieces sure. from that nucleus that are still here. I think what, what to, to piggyback off what you're saying, though, is, is him coming in totally changed not only like the identity or whatever you, you want to say, but like also like how they play in certain ways. Right. And, and then I think that's what they were trying to accomplish as well, beyond the the business and the financial sort of thing and, and kind of planning long-term it was, they clearly wanted to diversify their attack, change the way they play without necessarily completely removing some of that rush element. And, and they've accomplished that and they deserve yeah. credit for it. I don't think we necessarily, you know, every time a team makes a run like this, we get a bunch of dissertations about like, Oh, this is what this actually means about team building in, in whatever year it is. And, I don't think we necessarily need to spin it in that fashion. I, I I wouldn't mind it if if the takeaway from this is it's okay to make aggressive trades in the offseason, especially like hockey ones where big player, big name players are moving. I'm I'm excited about that. We're in the content game. I would love to see more of that, certainly. Um, but I don't think this necessarily is something where like, oh, we need to learn from every single time a team makes a run like this because we do acknowledge that the playoffs sometimes are about luck, about randomness, right? They're five and zero in overtime so far. They're winning every single one goal game. This is a magical run, and that's part of the beauty of the playoffs. And so, we should, I don't think we should lose sight of that either. And it kind of, yeah, it doesn't mean we shouldn't enjoy the ride while it's happening, but we also don't need to make 
kind of like widespread proclamations about changing how what teams are doing just because of what Florida is doing right now. No, I agree with that. I actually, I mean, I think that's what makes this so fun is it's probably not the <laughs> like there's some things you could look at and be like, oh, I don't know, you know. Uh I think, you know, that there's an uncanniness to this, like you said, right? But it's an example of me of like a really good player being really, really good. And 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 you know, you end up with a couple David Goliath feels uh out of the result. And it's been uh I don't know, that's good for the sport, in my opinion. Market well, it's aside. A, it's a good off season to be a strong four checker. Like I think, I think yeah. that's going to be the takeaway, not just Florida, but a lot of the themes we've been talking about through this postseason, right? I don't, I'm not, I don't have the free agent list in front of me, but if you are known for four checking, you will get an extra dollar of a, a million dollars on AAV on your deal this summer, I think. And, and we might see some trades of teams prioritizing those skill sets as well. So I'm interested to see how that works out. All right, Jesse, let's, um, Let's take our break here while we still can. And then when we get into the second part of the show, we'll kind of get a bit more into describing some of the stuff that Kachuk is actually doing and kind of what we're noticing on tape as well. Uh, so looking forward to that. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO cast with Jesse Marshall. Jesse, we're doing our Matthew Kachuk Film Club. Let's let's get into some of the the nerdy tape details that I think uh, listeners tune in for because we talked a lot about game theory and stats so far. So the reason why I wanted to do this is because I was thinking about this. I think Kachuk might be one of the most, if not the most unique player in terms of skill set in the game right now, right? I just can't really think of a lot of analogs for the combination of things he does and a lot's been made so far this postseason Dallas Akins went on um was on the broadcasts on on Sportsnet during during round two right and and he um during one of the one of the intermissions was talking about how much of the game especially in the postseason is played along the boards how important that wall play is and that became like a big topic of discussion right and in thinking about it and watching these games there's probably no better player in the league right now at leveraging that to make successful possession plays than Matthew Kachuk. I sent you a couple clips where like doesn't even wind up being necessarily a scoring chance or a goal, but I think they help explain why some of these five on five metrics for him are the way that they are. And it is that play connection where he's so good at standing at either blue line, basically, which are very like high leverage points of the ice because they literally represent like a barrier, either enter or exit. And while he's standing on the wall, particularly, let's say, in, in terms of zone exits, part of the difficulty is a defenseman is bearing down on you, right? They're coming down full blast. They're going to try to poke the puck away or hit you or disrupt something. And he just stands in there with his back turned to them, and he's able to absorb that and then make a play into the middle of the ice for either a Bennett or a Cousins to then skate into it. And it makes them, in the process, even probably faster than they actually are in a vacuum because all of a sudden he's created this like runway for them to skate into. Right. And so that is such an important skill. And I think help explain why they're getting the results they are. And I wanted to highlight that here first, because I think it's like an important part of, because a lot of the headlines are going to be around his passing from the goal line. Right. And like how he can set up 
plays into the bumper for Sam Reinhardt and all that. But I think this is one of the most underappreciated skills in the game right now and is worth exploring more. And then that's what we're here to do today. Well, I think the, you know, probably the most impressive part about it to me is he never, he never looks, he never, he, he does no point. If you're, if you're an opponent opposing player trying to get like some kind of tell about what's about to happen, like where this puck's going to go, like good luck. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen him like telegraph this stuff. And it's his ability to make like what I would almost recall. I would almost call him like scoops and digs on the puck. Right. Because he's not looking to make a tape to tape pass in most of these circumstances. You, I love the use of the term runway, right? Because mm-hmm. it's exactly what it is. So you've, you're engaging with him in some form or fashion. You think you've got him tied up. He could even use his legs most of the time. He's just looking to kick that puck into the area that you're not because you've come to him, right? You've drawn to him. And he knows that, you know, at the point he is in that, in that system, he is like we said earlier, he's that connection, right? Plays that role of, 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 a, of uniting the front and back ends. Uh, of your team together. Uh, that's how he's doing it. You know, in, in a world where time and space is as limited as it's ever going to be in the game of hockey in the postseason, mm-hmm. you have to be able to make these plays with a high level of effectiveness and is the smallest amount of time and the smallest window as you possibly can. So, you know, you see the play come to him. There's this physical engagement. You're expecting this long drawn out, war but he takes his stick on the backhand between his legs and just pushes the puck out to a teammate who's streaking through the neutral zone at 100 miles an hour and boom here's this clean zone injury and it was a guy that you never saw coming so uh i I, you're 100 correct and it's the ability to do it just based off of what his peripheral vision is telling him and what and, and, and trust in his teammates being where they should be I mean, that's another big part of this too is he's trusting that these guys are going to be there because he's not stopping and turning and looking and doing the traditional things that a lesser player would do to telegraph that pass. It's all very just within the flow and it, 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 the puck is with him for such a short period of time, but the touch he's putting on it is so important in the grand sequence of the event. Well, that play at your defensive blue line on the breakout is such a crossroads moment in every hockey game. And it happens countless times, obviously, but if you don't make the right play there, you're going to be trapped in your own zone. And most more often than not, it's either going to lead to sustained pressure that then results in a penalty or a goal against, or if you do manage to get it out of your zone, especially in say the second period with a long change, all of a sudden now you're tired, you're scrambling to the bench. The other team teams are getting so good at regrouping quickly and getting back in the zone. And they're either going to get a numerical advantage or you're going to set up whoever is coming on on the ice next for your team, right? Replacing you with fresh legs. All of a sudden now they're starting their shift scrambling in a defensive zone and it's not an advantageous position to be in. And so you wind up one little play results in two, three, five minutes of what we describe as momentum changes, right? Mm. And so that's really important. And, and, you know, in Corey Schneider's tracking his regular season, I thought it was really interesting, like the percentiles of how this works, where he is in the 97th percentile in zone exits, one of the best forwards in the league at doing so. He's only 65th percentile at zone entries, which makes sense, right? He's like generally the guys who are the best of that are the burners who can just carry the puck in themselves. But he's in the 98th percentile in um pass in rush assists leading to shots or chances. And so at the other end of the ice, what he also does is he kind of posts up around that blue line and a similar effect where he can get it to a Bennett to then skate into it and have a rush chance. 
himself. And it's kind of, it's so fascinating how he positions himself in these high leverage spots on the ice along the boards and is comfortable making these plays under pressure. And I don't know, it's, 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 it's really cool. Like, um, Daryl Belfry always talks about how one of the most important skills or things that we need to talk about in, in hockey is improving the conditions of the puck, right? It's like you get the puck, it is either in a bad place on the ice or it's bouncing or it's, it's, it's kind of tricky to corral or someone's coming to pressure you and what you do with it in terms of settling it and then making a play so that when you pass it to a teammate, they're in a better position and you're not just handing them a, a ticking bomb basically, right? Where they're going to get hit with it in open ice. He does that so well where he improves the conditions every time. Mm. Like he knocks a puck out of midair, settles it and then passes it to a teammate and they're so much better off for it, right? It's like one of the most uh, teammate-friendly skill sets I think you can have. We probably ought to focus on that a little bit more as like one of his most underrated skill sets and is, is the hand-eye that yes. comes in with him being a four-checker because he's flagging a lot of stuff down to your point. Um, you know, everything he does is about forcing a defenseman to go the opposite direction of the way that they're going, which inherently kills their momentum. Right. Because if you're a defenseman skating forward with the intent of playing offense and someone generates a turnover, you have to stop and go backwards to play defense. Right. The other person that's coming at you doesn't have to stop. Right. <laughs> they have the puck like they, they now hold a distinct advantage over your head. And he's taking a lot of really good defensemen um, and I think making them look bad but they're looking bad because of the circumstance, right? The, the game is changing on them. The, 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 the tide shifts from offense to defense because of those plays he's making at the defensive blue line and the offensive blue line. Um, I love that, that the idea of him just being a facilitator of the play, right? Uh, very rarely is the guy that is going to draw the, the puck across the line himself, uh, but he's the one working it out of the defensive zone and then uh, is making himself available across the blue line for to then redistribute the puck once the entry is complete. So they're, they're really vital. I think, in, I think that kind of role is again, and I've said this now a couple times on the show, you, the amount of brains you have to have an understanding of the way the game is played and the, the flow of it and, and putting a puck in an area that is either advantageous or disadvantageous for your teammate, you know, the, to do all of that at the level of speed, that he does it. And, and it's just so seamless. He doesn't delay anything, right? He makes these really important plays and decisions um, as they're happening without slowing a single thing down. And that's what makes him so difficult to mark in the offensive zone. Uh, you know, and, and, and maybe this is a transition for you to be true, but he so often seems to be skating in a direction and in way that is just totally the opposite of everyone else. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, you look at him and you think, what is he doing? But it's in preparation for whatever the next thing is. You know, he's not thinking about the now. He's thinking about the two steps from now and going against the grain to get there in a lot of ways sometimes. It's funny to watch to me because you can always sort of notice him because he's doing something that you think to yourself, where is he going or what is this? You know, it doesn't make any sense in the moment. But then a bang, bang play happened. Oh, okay. I get it now. No, I'm with you. He, um, the only way to describe it is in the neutral zone. He kind of like, it's like a, a basketball player posting up and backing down a defender. And and I don't ever recall seeing someone do it in the neutral zone yeah. as much as he does it and how comfortable he is with that in mind. And, you know, it's strategically, it's smart because you're protecting yourself and the puck in the sense that for the most part, we still see players can be reckless sometimes, particularly along the boards. And 
they don't care if they see your numbers, they're going to run right through you and push you into the boards and, and, and take a penalty. But for the most part, it's not the game that it was 10, 20 years ago, right? Where it was just free reign. It was like the wild, wild west. You see someone, you're just shoving them no matter what direction they're facing. So in, in this sense, if, you, if you're facing the defender, then they can definitely run through you uh, in, in a legal way more so. And so by turning his back to them, it's smart because he get, buys himself time to do that kind of like the peripheral surveying and scanning. It's a lot of no-look passes, but he's clocked where his guys are or where he expects them to be before he gets to play, right? There's a lot of scanning which is a popular scouting term these days that he does. And they they almost use him like a like a playmaking center in the NBA, like, like Nikola Jokic almost, where it's like they pass the puck to him, he turns his back in the post, and then they send cutters in both directions in Cousins and Bennett or sometimes a, a Montour if he's yeah. out there with him to then provide passing outlets and options for him. And then he basically gets to decide who he wants to get the puck to whoever's open and distribute that way. And it's such an interesting way to to run a breakout scheme and kind of a neutral zone set um, the way that they do. And and he's uniquely qualified, I guess, to do so. But it, it's just, it's interesting because it, and that's why I said I wanted to do this and how unique and how there was no analog to it because it does just visually look a lot different than what you see most teams do. Yeah, I don't know that I could, I mean, I couldn't sit here and name you know, there, there are players like that who will turn and invite pressure. Um, Sidney Crosby's done that all throughout. Yeah. His I mean, he's right? like, he's, he'll, back... he'll keep you glued in the back pocket and he's like, yeah. oh, I'm comfortable with you there. The, this entire shift, but more so like behind the net. Right. And, right. and like, when you think about like that, like the zone. Spezza, the Spezza shift, right? Like, yep, yep, yep. it's, it's a bit of a different skill set than just standing there at center ice along the boards. Uh, which obviously a center probably wouldn't be doing more so anyways, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it Chris Crosby's probably the best example in terms of comfort level being in that type of position where the defender is placed. Yeah. But I love that. Uh, I love what you said about like the, the, the step ahead scanning, you know, I mean, that, that that's great. I mean, cause it, you, you know, again, I can't stress enough that uh, like if, if he waits a second too long in all of this, you know, the, the idea of being able to make an area pass or just put the puck in a place where, you know, your teammates got the best crack at it and they have speed to get there. Um, that's gone. It's you lose it. You know, that's a momentary thing. You know, that's something that happens in the second that it's happening um, based on the flow of the game. Uh, and you lose that if it's, if, if you don't have that sense. So, um, and I, I think there's, we probably ought to give a shout too to his ability to play. Um, you know, we've talked, we, we, we alluded to this too, but um, that, that lends itself to what he can do in the offensive zone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, whether it's him making the cut or him distributing the, the puck in the cycle, uh, that that line's ability to elongate an offensive zone shift, uh, use an active D. Right. Um, there, there's a lot of understanding that's going on there in terms of like, again, where everyone's supposed to be. What's the best angle to take to get there? Um, and, and I love watching Kachuk specifically walk out of the corner to the front of the net with the puck, which is seems to be a huge preference of his is to try to get to the corner. Um, and he's got a lot of distribution options on his way there too. Right. So it's not always just a, 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 a crash and tuck opportunity. I mean, I think he gets pretty creative with it, but um, and that though, all these things tie together, uh, you know, to, to, to make him, you know, I think sort of the more dynamic puck distributor that we've seen in a while in terms of approach. And, you know, like you said, the sort of post-up technique that, uh, that he does where he knows somebody's, you know, he wants to be engaged with physically, frankly, you know, he wants that magnetizing other players to himself just opens up space for everybody else. So he seems to really, really welcome that.
Well, I think this came up during, and this is a point you made when we did, I think our Elias Pedersen film club, right? Where like, he almost like, um, he likes, he likes to initiate that first contact or feel where the defender is because then it's it sort of like, it locates everything for him, right? And then puts it into place and then you can act accordingly off of it. And and that it's always like a, like a subtle little, little touch or a little bump. And, and, and it's never anything that would get, get, get called. Right. But it's in a, in, sen- in a sense, it is kind of like the defender doesn't have the puck. And sometimes he does it before <laughs> even like he gets the puck. Yeah. So it's like, you're it's initiating contact. It's <laughs> interference, but that gray in the grand scheme of things, it will never get called the way it should. I mean, playoffs. they let yeah. much more egregious things go, especially in the playoffs. But yeah, it's, it's 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 very it's all of it. Like it's very there's a there's a certain evil genius to it, and then there's a certain uh, like more subtle kind of genius, creative genius to to how he does it, and he has to because he won't be able to take the puck like Connor McDavid in his own zone and go coast to coast. So he has to do it differently. You can get away with a lot more in motion, right? Like you're really going to get caught when two people are standing still and you take their legs out from under them or something like that or move. You know what I mean? That's where you really get in trouble. He is so good and masterful at in in motion contact. So uh, he scored a couple goals like this, this postseason where he'll come through on a cycle, barrel through an area and just like you said, shove someone. Right. Like at the moment that the puck's going to arrive, like he's preemptively moving them out of the way so that he's the only one that can get the crack on the puck. And it's happening in a window that's, well, first of all, he's not egregiously tackling anyone, right? I think that's like a really important, like getting getting physical with someone and like using the same, I mean, it's still, I'm not trying to explain away interference, but I like, I think, you know, it's, it's what makes it different to me is he's doing it in such a smart way, right? He's in motion, he's moving through an area and skates in the same place as somebody else happens to be skating and he's going to win that physical engagement. He gets a little extension on him. Sometimes there's a shove there, but he knows how to move people to create space. Um, that that's the takeaway, right? Like that's it's the same thing. It's the same idea. It's it's proactively striking on the defenseman that's going to try to stick lift you and take away your time and space. If you move them out of the way, they're not there. They can't do that when you get the puck. Well, also the reality is that if you're the first person to initiate the contact, that generally does not get called. But then if there's a retaliation after, especially that goes above and beyond, and then an embellishment follows or a, a reaction follows, that catches the official's eye. And generally, like they notice the first one, and then they're watching. And then if the second thing happens as a retaliation, that's what gets called. And that's how you get into a spot where Matthew Kachuk has drawn 10 penalties this postseason and taken only five, which is also another yeah. massive advantage for his team, right? It's it's part of the game, um, you know, for better or for worse. And it, sometimes it can be very frustrating if you're the other team because you feel like they're getting away with a lot more than and, and then not getting called for. It. And then you do something and you're immediately called for it. It's very frustrating, but that's that's kind of part of the cat and mouse game here. Yeah. Or I guess cat cat and rat game. Um, if you want to go with the uh with the rat Is there any other um any other stuff on on Kachuk here that you think stands out or is kind of like noticeable on the tape in terms of like little little tricks or little skills, trademark skills that you've noticed from him? No, I just, I'm happy he's had an opportunity to showcase. Like I said, you know, I think that we, we talk a lot about all this stuff and, and lost and all of that. I think the icing on the cake here is the fact that he's a good shooter. Mm-hmm. He's a good shooter, you know, maybe not. He's got 40 goals this year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, we haven't even mentioned it. <laughs> like yeah. we haven't even mentioned it, but I, he, this postseason for me with regards to his shot has been, 
what I think is his bread and butter. And it's that I, I will sacrifice everything I need to in the world of velocity to put it exactly where it needs to go. Uh, and I think there's just a lot of really good innovation from him in, in ways that he can, you know, keep his blade flat to keep the puck on the ice and the wherewithal to know when that's appropriate, um, you know, in loose puck situations versus clean shot situations. And, uh, you know, the tool's nice, Dimitri, but the discernment of the tool, right? That's what sometimes separates you and gets you to the 40 goal plateau. And discernment, I think, has been uh, probably his best tool in his shot this year. And it's just, it, it's the right selection. You know, you could have all the fancy clubs in your bag, but if you don't know how to use them, they're no good. And uh, he knows how to use all of them. So I think it's just, you, it, that that is the icing on the cake to all of this. He can create these opportunities. He can do, and then, and then as a finisher, where he often finds himself, given how close his proximity to the mouth of the net is and where you can usually find him when the cycle gets going, he is just clinical with knowing what that situation calls for and what the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm glad we did this cause we've been talking about doing this one for a while, but also I feel like a lot of, and, and I'm, I'm responsible for this as well. A lot of the playoff coverage so far through these first two plus rounds of the Panthers has been what the Bruins and the Leafs have done poorly to lose or get upset in people's eyes, as opposed to what the Panthers might've done to, to kind of force their hand or put them in those situations or, or win these games and what they did. Right. And now you look up and they're seven wins from the Stanley cup along, certainly a long way to go from that. I think this series against Carolina is going to be especially hellish uh, with a lot of back and forths and twists and turns. And it's gonna be a long hard fought one. If uh, if game one is any indication, but you know, I, I thought this was going to be a bit of a step back here for them as like a calculated bridge to, take a step back and then lock in a player long-term that's younger and then use the future years to add around him. Um, and I guess they did technically in the regular season, right? It was, it was, a, it was a big surprise. They, they almost missed the playoffs. Um, but now you look up and they're obviously having the success and, and having this uh, magical ride through the postseason. So it was good to finally direct a bit of the, uh, the attention or praise their way, I guess. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, and I, and again, I have to reiterate that I, I think the lesson learned for me was star player value, you know, um, and how, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not surprised to see him have this level of impact, but to, you know, the, for the mix to be this right, right. The and for everything to go on, on the that's, team. that's yeah. been the, the crazy part for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, we got a couple of minutes here. Do I do a quick note on, on how you're feeling about your, uh, your Pittsburgh Penguins? Sure. Um, you know, moving that. So you got the the GM progressing, uh, the GM search progressing. There's been a lot of exciting names in the mix: Matthew Darsh, Eric Tulski, uh, John Chaka. Uh, well, they didn't make it to the second round, unfortunately. Oh. Old Pete got knocked out. So uh, I don't, I don't know that we have like a really full understanding of who is in the second round, right? Um, but I think if you get the sampling of names from from guys that have you know are around it and are sniffing around, um, it's an exciting time. You know, I think that there there's a need for um, a cap savvy forward thinker who's not going to make trades for Mikhail Granlund um, for a second rounder and five million in cap hit. Um, and and you need so you need to find someone that can get out of that stuff and and is going to get the player evaluation piece right right now today right. Um, that's what this is about. It's about it's winning in, with this window as, op- as small as it might be open, Dimitri, as, as small as it might be. Um, there is a crack 
and maximizing that crack in, in, a, in the right way is, is the ask. And I think you see a lot of names. We just started recording the show about an hour after Kyle Dubas parted mm-hmm. ways with the Maple Leafs. So, you know, that FSG, you know, purportedly loves him. Uh, so we'll see if, if there's any, anything that begets an interview there, or if there's any conversation, but um, you know, I think given how bad things were in Pittsburgh and how just absolutely ruined uh, the Ron Hextall era became uh, at the end there, there's a lot of excitement around these names because they're, you know, again, a little bit more forward thinking and, um, you know, a little bit more, uh, I hate to use the term analytical friendly, Dimitri, because that's so, it takes well, me back let's to say, like let's 2010, say but modernized, you know, modernized in their yeah. line of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, hearing you say like first round, second round, uh, I think what should become an annual tradition is teams that miss the playoffs that are either in pursuit of a new GM or new coach be like holding rounds of, 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 of the interview process to mirror the NHL postseason. So now we're in the Eastern conference final portion of, of the <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh the Penguins GM search. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about, um, the list of names. I know whenever it's like reported of like, these guys are all interviewing and then you pick like the, the, the worst retread on there. And it's like, Oh my God, like what if they do this? And it's, I assure you a lot of it is just doing due diligence in terms of like mining for ideas. Uh, not that necessarily I would be asking Peter Shirley on how to build my team anyways, but um, yeah, I think it's an interesting job. Uh, obviously it's scary that, you know, Crosby's 36, Malkin's 37, Latang's 36. And that's, that's a scary job to inherit, but, I, but I do think it's a very like unambiguous job as well in terms of like the goal, right? Like, it's like, how do we get this team better now, but also in a way where the infrastructure is there and now you just need to bring in players that actually make sense for once uh, mm. for the coach that's in place and the system that's in place. And then the fact that you do have some cap space now, and I see no good reason why they should be selecting 14th overall this season or whatever. And the fact that you could leverage that potentially into improving your team would make this an intriguing landing spot for me if I were a prospective GM. But um, yeah, I'm very curious to see how that turns out. All right, Jesse, um, let's get out of here. I'll let you plug some stuff on the way out and let the listeners know where they can check you out. Yeah, so I'm working on a, a discussion about forechecking in the playoffs right now. A little bit of a systems analysis from McKean's. Um, I've got a little bit more work to do on it, but uh, look for that for them soon. It's really going to, it's going to be for, it's going to be about for checking and um, you know, the, the flavor of, of, of the playoff as it were, and a little bit more insight into how these teams are doing it. All right, buddy. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. Uh, we will do, we'll do another film club before the postseason's over and we move on uh, to next year. So we'll, uh, we'll take some submissions from listeners as always, if they're interested in us uh, deep diving anyone, and we'll do that in a couple of weeks. Thank you to everyone for listening to the hockey PDO cast for another week. We'll be back on Monday with plenty more of the show here on the Sportsnet radio network.